Episode 11, Enter the Syscalls. In this episode, Fox talks with Cat about their experiences with the label DID and why they no longer feel comfortable identifying with it. Together they touch on the discourse surrounding the plural communities and discuss different experiences from their own perspective. In this episode, we would like to warn for discussions of abuse, including sexual and the effects of trauma. We are aware that this is a controversial topic, and we hope that we have handled it with the necessary care and respect. At the end of the day, we do believe in inclusivity, acceptance and healing for everyone, regardless of their opinion on this fraud topic. This is happening to you. Here. Welcome to the Petting Zoo. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the Petting Zoo. Today, there's me, Cad, and my lovely girlfriend, Fox. Fox, can you say hi? Hi, people. Yeah. And um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about, well, basically the concept of multiplicity and kind of dissociation and these topics and our personal thoughts on them and um, and also sort of the discourse that's sort of going around these days with regard to the whole endogenic versus traumagenic systems and the f- people who sort of fall in between those two categories. And we will also explain those categories because we don't expect you to know it off the bat what oh, yeah, any of, of this course. means. Of course, it's basically, yeah, we will do that. Um, and today I am here with Fox who happens to have a dissociative disorder. Um, and then there's me who dissociates, but I don't have a dissociative disorder necessarily. Um, and I'm also here as uh, someone who has just had a lengthy discussion on Tumblr about this, even though I didn't feel like it was really my place to have this discussion. Um, so that sort of compelled me to talk more about it, because that's logical. Anyways, to actually talk to Fox about it, who has um, experience with these things. And... Yeah, so to get back to the topic of the discourse, just a quick rundown. So I'm going to be using the term multiplicity here both for those people who consider the experience to be disordered and those who consider it to be non-disordered, and for those who have trauma and for those who don't. And I'm aware that some people don't like this term used that way, so I just want to make it clear that when I say multiplicity, I'm merely talking about the sort of experience of having more than one part to yourself that has its own life in a way. Um, yeah. So, uh, in this day and age, the generally accepted disorders within this experience is DID and OSDD. Um, and in the ICD, it's a dissociative disorder not otherwise specified, or something to that effect. I forget the exact wording. And that one has like um, uh, and a caveat, which is uh, the multiple personality disorder designation. So there are those, um, and those are basically generally thought of as a trauma response, and they are usually 
consist of pretty severe dissociation that leads to some kind of dysfunction in people's lives, which is why it's generally considered a disorder. Um, but there's also people who do experience or at least claims to experience types of multiplicity without necessarily experiencing dysfunction or without necessarily having trauma or at least not feeling that their trauma is connected to the multiplicity. And those people often go by the term endogenic systems. Um, yeah. Was that an okay explanation? Okay, I, I would probably start from a way more basic point of view because you work with the understanding of these things as a psychologist and as somebody who is personally affected by these things but probably for those listeners who have never heard of dissociative disorders don't know what dissociation is let's start off the bat with okay so Kat mentioned DID and OSDD DID stands for dissociative identity disorder it's basically um, a mental disorder or a mental illness where a person can have at least two distinct personalities or personality states that can be similar or very different in certain ways, but these personalities do not share memory. Uh, this is called having a dissociative barrier between them, which means, for example, TP and I are... Two separate people, one of us is male, one of us is non-gendered, and we live two functionally separate lives as two functionally different people. We look different, we have different tastes, likes, dislikes, etc, etc, and we don't remember what the other one does. We have a shared past that we both kind of sort of remember, but more about that later. OSDD is a similar condition. It stands for Other Specified Dissociative Disorder. And basically here there are also multiple personality states or multiple personalities present, but there is no dissociative barrier between them. So they can also share memories with each other. They still feel like they are different people and often they have very different opinions. They have very different behavioral patterns. They have functionally separate lives while remembering the memories of their respective counterparts. Yeah, and a lot of people fall somewhere in between those two. Like, if, to have the idea, you don't necessarily have to have full amnesia between all alters. Sometimes some alters remember things, some don't, etc., etc. It's, um, and people with OSD may have some dissociative amnesia, but not enough to qualify for DRD, etc. Like, it's yeah, it's a little bit of a mushy line. Also, let's talk a little bit about what dissociation is. Dissociation is basically a response that every human being experiences. Usually when a person is subjected to something that's either extremely stressful to them or extremely traumatic in a way, the brain kind of protects the person by withdrawing and kind of just pushing away the experience in a way that you may or may not remember it, but if even if you remember it, sometimes people describe it as watching it from an outside point of view, like it's a movie that you have seen, or you completely forget about it. But there are way more 
mundane and benign forms of dissociation that are not even uh, connected to trauma, for example. Many people describe it as if you're driving down a long highway and you have nothing else to do, just keep the car in motion and like make sure that you don't run off the road. You kind of just zone out and your imagination carries you to this different place. That's a form of dissociation. People who practice meditation often have different mindscapes where they go while they are meditating or they just kind of try to distance themselves from their own experience so they can kind of gain an overview of the whole thing while meditating. And that's also a form of dissociation. So in itself, dissociation is not a bad thing and it's not a disorder. It happens to everybody all the time. It becomes a disorder when it happens even if you don't want it to happen and it happens to the extent that it somehow hinders your life or ruins your life quality or lowers your life quality. Yeah. And then we are talking about dissociative disorders. Yeah. And basically, like you said, it's often thought of as a response to trauma, but it can also occur randomly, especially in people who have been um, traumatized earlier, but it can also happen in people who have kind different kinds of mental disorders, even if they don't have any particular trauma. They or we, I should say, because we both do this, but we will have days or hours or time where we just sort of dissociate for no discernible reason. It's not necessarily that we're super anxious or something is happening. We just sort of... For some reason, we just go somewhere. (laughs) Okay, another interesting little detail of dissociation that there are several types of dissociation but if we are talking from a clinical point of view the two very well known and often used terms are depersonalization and derealization depersonalization is when you dissociate from your own identity as a person and you kind of feel like Either you're not real or you kind of lose touch with your own emotions, with your own general sense of self. While derealization is the kind of opposite end of the spectrum where you still feel very real and very present, but it kind of feels like the whole world is unreal or there is this bubble or barrier between you and the rest of the world. And this can be pretty severe or completely mild. See, zoning out is one form of uh, derealization, while, for example, for me, it's it's a very common experience. I almost never experience depersonalization. I always am firmly rooted in my own identity. I'm always firmly rooted in my own experience. But I have a very distinct sense that the world around me becomes less and less real and things don't quite make sense to the point where sometimes when it gets very severe, I describe it as a functional blindness where my eyes are perfectly fine. I can still see things, but my brain is no longer capable of deciphering the things that my eyes give as an input 
and I'm functionally blind because I can't really interact with the world around me yeah. and I can't really understand the world around me. Yeah. And for me, I would say that dissociation is... Um, I do have depersonalization a lot where I'm like... But it, I also am more on the side of derealization. Um, it's kind of... For me, it's very much like feeling like I'm in a dream. Feeling like nothing I do will have any effect on anything whatsoever. I could just do anything. And it's also like time usually slows down a lot. And I become very slow in a way. And 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 sometimes I just lie down somewhere. Or like if I'm sitting at the computer, I will like type slower and slower until I don't really type anymore. And then for me, it sort of can go into these kind of... Um, was called catatonic, catatonic states, uh, which are more common in like schizophrenia, which I do have. Um, but it, for me, it kind of blurs the line there because I don't think it's completely catatonia, but it's sort of veering in that direction. Yeah, it's uh, basically as far as I understand how humans work, and that's admittedly a very limited understanding. We make these broad categories to kind of write up a taxonomy on how these things work. But in effect, dissociation is as varied as human beings are. Everybody's experience is different and we don't really even have the correct vocabulary to describe our experiences. So people are just kind of trying to create these words that would somehow convey a meaningful image of what we experience. But even that's a pretty unreliable source. Yeah. Now, if all of this sounds super scary, I understand that. From an inside point of view, as somebody who experiences this on a daily basis to a lesser or more severe extent, dissociation is not always bad. Even the pretty severe type to me personally, there are two types of dissociation. There's the good kind and there's the bad kind. When it's the good kind, that's probably only decided by me being in a good mood. And I experience this more as the world is kind of far away and flimsy, but it's beautiful and it's a very serene, very peaceful, very pleasant feeling where I don't have to engage with everything. I don't have to just put myself all into the present moment. But there is a bad kind of dissociation where I desperately want to because, for example, I'm out in the street and I need to find my way home. And when it hits you there, suddenly you might have been 500 meters away from your home. You have walked this path a million times and you can no longer recognize it. And it's scary because you're suddenly lost in this vastness and you can't touch anything and you can't do anything about it. And that's a very scary thing. Yeah, it's kind of like drugs. You can have a bad trip or a good trip. Yeah, exactly. It's just like dissociation is not an inherently bad thing and it's not an inherently bad experience. And it's definitely a protective measure. Um, it can basically, it can become too much, but as it occurs as a response to traumatic or stressful events, it is a protective measure to, to make you able to deal uh, with these things that are happening. Um, yeah, but to return to sort of the topic of multiplicity, 
So DID is sort of the most commonly known type of multiplicity, uh, which is uh, sort of, and it sort of has a lore around it, um, which goes that there's um, a child and the child is severely abused and the child sort of creates these compartmentalized parts of itself to protect itself from what's happening um, that sort of carries the memories and then uh, later they may appear or they may also create like protector parts that will take care of them because no one is taking care of them etc etc that's like these types of experiences and Common types of alters, therefore, are like child alters who have not aged since this time. And uh, there's the persecutors who are often uh, harmful towards the body or the host. Um, or who may believe that they can like harm other people in the system without harming themselves. And that's these types of things. And then there's like the protectors. And there are many more types of alters, but they're like... That's like these well-known sort of archetypes of um, alters in a way. Yeah, an alter is an. It's short for alternate personality state. Basically, um, a collective like a human person who has multiple personalities or parts to them is called a system. Inside the system, there is usually a host. The host is more often the person who fronts the most. So the person who is usually responsible for carrying the life they lead towards the outside world. They are usually matching the name, the age and the gender that the body has. And they are often viewed as the most frequently fronting alter. This is not always the case, but this is kind of what the term host refers to. And then there are the alters who are sometimes fronting, sometimes they can blur together or co-front. So sometimes in a person's head, multiple parts can be present at the same time and they can have a rich and vast inner life without that being directly obvious from an outside point of view. So there are the host and there are the altars. The host is also considered an altar, by the way. Uh, so yeah, there are these archetypes. There is usually, yeah, the child altar, also referred to as littles. There's the persecutor, the protector, the trauma holder. That's usually the part that can actually remember all the bad things that happened. And there are a million other archetypes, but generally speaking, alters don't have to conform to these. Oh yeah. Sure, they are. Um, they are often present, but just because a system doesn't work like that exactly, that doesn't make the system invalid or wrong in any way. Yeah. And um, and that's sort of the DID side of things. Um, and that's sort of the the common, I don't want to say trope, but like the common idea of DID goes something like that. Um, and then there's OSTD, which is very similar, but with less amnesia usually. But then there are also people who experience these things without really fitting this narrative. So 
There are some people who have, for example, amnesia and at least don't believe that they have any trauma. And there's, of course, discussion of whether this is possible and blah, blah, blah. But I kind of want to take people at face value here. So there are people who experience the symptoms that are similar to or that are DID without having any trauma. And then there are people who experience symptoms similar to OSTD without any trauma. And then there are people who have like entirely different experiences and different takes on it, but who still feel like they are more than one personality or person or entity in one body. And for some people, this is a spiritual belief. Um, I don't know that much about this side of things because I, as a psychotic person who has sort of these experiences, I honestly don't want to delve too far into the spiritual side of multiplicity. Um, but it's, I believe it's valid to have these beliefs. I just think that for me personally, it would not be a good thing to pursue. But then again, it's not that different because it's also common for people with DID to have alters who um, identify as otherworldly beings or even animals or um, fictional characters, fictional characters or historical characters. Or historical, yeah. So like, it's not completely unheard of for these things to happen, regardless of uh, the type of system that it is. Um, now, I personally have this weird experience I've talked about a little bit on the podcast before, and you've all met Husky if you've listened so far, so I have basically two, I call them aspects, that are with me, um, and I don't consider myself to have DID or OSTD, and the main reason I don't consider myself to have that is because it's not particularly disordered for me. Like, I have other things wrong with me <laughs> that I consider disorders, but this is kind of just like, um, it's just a thing. It's just a thing I do. It's a thing my brain does, and it actually helps me cope with life. And of course, even people who do have, uh, who are sort of on the disordered side, for them, it can also be a way of coping. It obviously is a way of coping if you look at like, how it's conceptualized, but it also usually causes distress. And for me, this does not cause distress. And I have recently, like, I've had these experiences for years now, um, but I've recently sort of come more out about it and started talking about it, for example, in my personal Tumblr. And then I received a number of anons who were some politely, some less politely, trying to educate me on this topic. And that sort of prompted me to want to talk a little bit about it and talk a little bit about it with uh, my partner Fox, who actually has like severe dissociative experiences. So um, yeah, that's sort of where we are. Yeah, okay. Uh, I feel like to kind of understand where I'm coming from, I need to give a very quick rundown on how this whole thing works with me. Basically, um, okay, so ever since I was fairly little, I had weird episodes, and the weird episodes were what I now know was dissociative episodes, 
And then from my teenage years, I started experiencing more and more frequent and severe blackouts, which scared me to hell. So I didn't really dare talk about it because it's generally speaking never a good sign when you have blackouts every now and then. And I could also, I didn't really catch it until something glaringly obvious came my way when I realized that I should remember something that I don't remember. And at this point, I just kind of laughed it off or I did something to the effect of apologizing. But it was a scary moment. And then later, at a point, there was was some weirdness in my life. Okay, here's a disclaimer. I, because of the blackouts and because of the altered personality states and a lot of other things... I don't necessarily trust my memories. So whatever I say here is what I believe to be the truth. That does not necessarily mean that all of these things have happened or all of these things have happened exactly the way I remember them. But we will talk about false memories later. What I remember is that at the point I got somehow mixed up with a weird cult or a conspiracy thing, but it wasn't really a cult experience in the way that people usually imagine cult experiences, because I wasn't swept up by a cult. A cult was kind of formed around me. And the reason why this cult was formed around me was because the people that were parts of this had the belief that I was, or I was the host or the avatar of a demon. And they had proof of this because they could kind of summon this demon through me and inside my body, which I now realize was probably a manifestation of an altered personality state. I just didn't know about that at that point and I wasn't quite sure what was happening and I kind of felt like I poured just played along and entertained them. But at the same time, I also knew that there was something seriously wrong because while I didn't believe, I I don't believe in demons, I don't believe in spirits, I don't believe in ghosts. But at the same time, when they did the ritual, I changed. And suddenly there was this entity. And the entity spoke through me and... Afterwards, I often didn't remember or I had very hazy memories of what took place. But these people were absolutely convinced that I was some weird divine creature. And I entertained this for a while and then after a while it kind of ran its course and I distanced myself from the whole group and then I moved countries multiple times. And after this, I... Yeah, I moved countries multiple times. And at this point, I'm not even strictly speaking me yet. Because I believe that TP and I and all the other ones, we used to have a common origin um, that kind of split into pieces at a point. And that common origin passed away five and a half years ago on New Year's Eve. We we talked about this earlier in the trauma episode. That was Phoenix. And I basically gained consciousness or became a thing the moment 
Phoenix died. Um, okay, so all of this <laughs> might sound like crazy talk, but where I'm actually going with this is that, yeah, from a very early age up until today, I have weird experiences which I couldn't explain to myself for long, long years. And I tried to bring it up, like at least the dissociation part, I tried to bring up with therapists at earlier points. And they generally just got dismissed, always. Like, they they just said something, but it, it never really was anything helpful. And then after TP appeared, or reappeared five years ago, we were already together with Moose, so it was pretty obvious. And I was scared, and I think he might have been a little bit scared too. Or at least TP was super scared and I was super scared and we didn't quite know what was happening to us. And then randomly a friend was like, hey, it kind of sounds like you have DID. And I was like, what the fuck is DID? And then I went online and read up on it. And I came to the conclusion, yeah, it does sound like I have DID. And for the past about five years, I kind of just self-identified as having DID, because most of the diagnostic criteria in the big book of diagnoses just fit me. So it was a comfortable label because it could give me answers to a lot of things that I previously couldn't understand. And then here we arrive to the discourse. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the discourse so I can refer back later? <laughs> Well, um, so there are kind of two sides to it that are like the extreme sides, I would say. And then there's obviously a lot of people in between who just experience things and have various opinions. But sort of on the extreme side of the endogenic side, there are the people who believe that, well, multiplicity is always like basically a good thing. It's an interesting phenomenon and like uh, basically... Uh, the psychiatrist just like demonizing or like uh, medicalizing something that is actually just a normal human experience and it makes people sicker or, or and stuff like that. Um, and then on the other side, there are the people who believe that basically DID and OSTD are these super, super specific labels, as in like that if you don't have the exact textbook experience then you cannot identify with these labels and then you cannot even identify as being multiple in the first place most likely and like this is kind of and i'm probably setting up some straw men here because i don't understand i don't understand the discourse well enough to be able to represent it so i don't want this to be this is what the discourse is about this is just what i've sort of caught up from various uh sides of this and most people just want to exist. Most people just want to be allowed to exist in peace the way they are. Um, and then there are, of course, always people who are allowed and fighting. And it's it's a common thing, you know? Yeah, so for example, one of the things... Okay, yet another disclaimer. There is a very tight-knit and very self-supportive group of the ID and OSTD diagnosed people out there that 
must be a wonderful community. I never wanted to be part of that community. At the beginning, I didn't want to compare my experiences to other people's experiences because I was worried that because that's how my brain works, I'm extremely suggestible. Reading about how other people experience the ID might influence how I experience the ID, and I did not want that to happen. I kind of wanted to figure it out for myself and kind of just deal with it how I see fit. And then later on, I learned more and more about the community, but at the same time I learned more and more about other people's experiences who are outside of this community. And I realized that from the community's uh, point of view, I'm not even valid because, for example, one of the dogma that they follow very strictly is that your trauma has to be extremely severe and it has to happen before the ages six to nine years. And it has to be something like physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, I think severe neglect might be in there. But basically it has to be a very specific type of trauma and it has to happen at the very specific type of uh, age because that's the only way the ID can form. Now the thing is, I don't remember much of my childhood, but what I know of my childhood is, sure, I was an isolated child, almost extremely so, but I grew up with loving parents and loving grandparents. I was kind of socially okay. I have never been severely bullied. I have never been molested. I have never been beaten as a child. My parents took as good care of me as they physically and emotionally could, and that was plenty good care. A lot of shit things happened to me, but the majority of the things that I find super traumatic has happened later in life from ages 10 and up. Basically, my life hasn't been non-traumatic at any point since I was 10. So I feel like I have plentiful trauma in my past, but I think the majority of the trauma, or what I imagine could be severely traumatizing to a person, happened later. And at the same time, sure, there are things in my very early childhood that are well, less than ideal, because I have been severely injured, I have been very sickly, I have had a lot of medical issues that also left me with a crippling fear of medical things for life. Right now, I can barely make it to the doctor's office, I can talk to a doctor, but I don't let them touch me. I haven't been to the dentist for about 15 years because I can't bear the thought of even going close to the dentist's office. There are these things that are obviously pointing to, yeah, that has left a mark. Like being injured as a baby and having to spend long time in a hospital in isolation, taken away from parents for weeks at a time. That's not good for a baby, but I think when we compare it to the stuff that followed that might not have been the most severe trauma. And it's definitely not fitting the trauma pattern that the community kind of requires for your validation. Now, this might sound like I'm bitter, 
and I just want to put it out there, I'm not. I chose never to be part of this community and I don't necessarily... I don't have any negative feelings towards the community as a community. I'm glad these people are out there. I'm glad they support each other. I just also feel like they have some beliefs and they have some practices that might be maladaptive to their own well-being as well. And they are definitely, definitely harming people that are not within their community. And this is a problem I would like to address. Yeah. And, well, for me, it's wild to me that, I mean, the thing is, okay, let's backtrack a little bit. So... Um, most psychological labels, not to say all psychological labels, if you look away from PTSD, are sort of written without a cause. Because the DSM uh, system is sort of, since the DSM-3, it has been sort of, at least it has claimed to be a-theoretical. So it's mostly like... Um, these are the symptoms. If you have these symptoms and you live up to this disorder, we leave it up to someone else to figure out why these disorders occur, what to do about them, etc. etc. There are descriptions in the DSM and under the description of uh, dissociative disorders, they do mention trauma as a very possible cause, of course, um, but it's not really a part of the diagnostic criteria. This is like um, these writings are like the current, they reflect the current understanding, but they don't. And, and as does the, the criteria which are in essence just some people who sat down and decided, let's say it's like this, yeah, that sounds good, let's go with that. And this has sort of created this idea, and this is a general thing for psychiatric labels, it's kind of created this uh, belief that these um, categories reflect sort of like real-life constellations of symptoms because obviously all of these symptoms exist and all of these symptoms are manifest in people in many different ways but like the idea that this particular manifestation or this particular constellation of symptoms spells out this disorder and this disorder has this cause and it has this course and it has this treatment is kind of actually not very supported in psychology in general. Um, and it used to be that before the DSM-3, um, most, uh, especially in DSM-1, which is from 1950 something, anyways, so in the original DSM, uh, most of these disorders were called reactions because the belief was that any mental disorder is caused by some trauma or some stressful events or some um, unresolved tension between you and your parents, etc, etc. So there was this idea that everything is a reaction to something. And I feel like this idea that, for example, DID, it, that it requires this very specific type of trauma at a very specific age is kind of like a, um, I don't want to say leftover, but I kind of want to say that it's it's not a very good theory, basically. Of course, I, I... No, it's not even a bad theory, but it's just like... Basically, I also think that there's some kind of... Um, a self-fulfilling so, prophecy. Yeah. 
because the belief that, and it goes two ways, so there's a belief that DID is caused by severe childhood trauma. Okay, so this first of all means that people are more likely to diagnose DID in people who report severe childhood abuse, and it also means that people with DID might be prompted to try to think of childhood abuse uh, in those years that they don't remember or that they may remember, etc, etc. And there's a, there's a large, large controversy that I don't want to get into about false memories and about recovered memories, etc, etc. I personally believe that there is both such a thing as recovered memories and such a thing as false memories. And I believe that it's very hard to tell the difference. And I also believe, and I think this is a very important point, that whether a, re whether a memory is false or recovered or remembered from the beginning, it can be equally traumatic. Because the brain is very suggestible and remembering something, even if it didn't happen, is still going to traumatize you. You relive something when you remember it. And if you relive horrifying events that never took place, you are currently living those horrifying events and thus making them happen for yourself. And there you go, legitimate trauma. Yeah, and my thought in all this, I, again, I don't really want to go down this rabbit hole, I just want to point out that the idea that false trauma exists and there's evidence that it would exist um, does not really invalidate the trauma of anyone, because there's no such thing as a memory of trauma that would not be traumatic. It does not matter if it didn't happen. Also, a little bit about trauma that always interested me, and I feel like not many people think about it this way, is that there is no such thing as a universally traumatic experience. There are things, horrible things, that happen to people and different people react differently with different emotional intensity and also there are things that are way more obscure. Sure, a, a nature catastrophe, war, death of a loved one, these are things that are obviously traumatic to everybody. But still, even within this range, different people will react differently and different people will have different experiences with this. Um, I have gone through years of childhood bullying that basically I shook off as a child because school bullies be school bullies and I kind of felt sorry for them because they were obviously taking something out on me that was their problem and it never really seemed like a huge problem to me while it ruins other people's lives. And at the same time, I still remember, and yes, you're allowed to laugh, this is funny, but one of the things that gave me an almost lifelong aversion to holding hands with people and touching people's skin was something that happened to me in kindergarten where one day we were paired up and I was paired up with a little boy and I had to hold his hand for half an hour while we were walking and his hand, hands were very dry and his skin felt very bad on my palm. And this apparently just stuck with me to the point where even today I have to, the moment my own hand gets a little bit dry, I have to manically moisturize because I cannot take the texture. 
And this also contextualizes my own trauma a little bit because I feel like the things that traumatize me have everything to do with my neurological setup. I currently carry two diagnoses. I'm diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and I'm diagnosed with an undifferentiated dissociative disorder. And I feel like me being an autistic child and an untreated autistic child, because I was only very recently diagnosed, so I lived my entire life um, being treated as a typically developed child and adult. And a lot of things that were very hard for me and would have needed a type of special care that was not available to me at that point were the things that made my life hard while having lived through bullying, having lived through substance abuse, eating disorders, you name it, I probably at a point had that happen to me. Even rape is something that I had an easier time getting over. I still feel very invalid in my own experiences because of this. I actually feel ashamed because I'm not more ruined by the fact that I was sexually abused. I have gone through this horrible event and of course it left a mark. And I was sitting there and the only thing I could think about was I can't let this person take over my life. I can't give up everything, future prospects of love, of intimacy, of sexual pleasure, just because this one person made a horrible mistake that just happened to involve me. But I don't think if I wasn't neurodivergent or if I wasn't so keen on dissociating away from all these things that I could cut off myself emotionally from this trauma the way I did. And here comes the coping mechanism, I guess. Here yeah. comes protection. Yeah, and that's the thing. And one thing I find important also to mention when we're talking about the causes of things is that we usually find that the causes of any mental disorder lie somewhere between, between genetics and in the environment. And it differs from disorder to disorder how much is environment and how much is genetics. And it differs from person to person. And there is... Um, evidence that dissociation is more common in certain people um, and that it can run in certain families etc etc so I think that's also worth noting as well as the fact that like if we look at another uh, disorder that has classically been thought of for a long time as a traumatic response uh, there's something like borderline personality disorder um, borderline personality disorder is usually considered a trauma response um, often also is but what we find more and more is that some people with borderline don't necessarily have uh, experiences that would be considered traumatic from a an objective point of view but they have a setup a, a temperament that means that the things that would not necessarily be traumatic to other people actually were very, very stressful and perhaps traumatic to them. And they also may have like genetic factors that make them more prone to have these 
um, symptoms that are common in um, borderline personality disorder. So I think it's very, very sort of arrogant to assume that we have all the answers when it comes to DID and dissociative disorders, because we don't have all the answers for anything. Like we're fumbling in the dark. We're just like psychologists and psychiatrists are just like a bunch of assholes fumbling in the dark about something they have no idea about, you know? And I think that putting so much stock in like the current theories of something is actually possibly harming the people in the community. Because for example, Fox, I do think that like for someone to, like you who has like all the classic symptoms of DID to feel like, well, I cannot have DID then because I don't fit this narrative that has been built. I feel like that's honestly heartbreaking and it's honestly like really harmful in a way. Yeah, here we arrive to a point where recently for multiple reasons I started to feel like the label of DID was no longer comfortable for me. It was a very... Okay, so my relationship with labels is I wear the labels or I identify with the labels that are somehow beneficial to my emotional well-being or healing. In every single context, these are the labels that I put on myself and that I identify with. And for the past five years, the ID has been a very comfortable label to wear because it gave me a sense of security and it gave me a sense of validation in my experience. But lately, that started to change and I think it just reached a kind of natural point where I decided that I will stop qualifying myself with the label DID and I will, in public, if I have to talk about it, I will use undifferentiated dissociative disorder instead. Because first of all, that's what my piece of paper says. And second of all, because partially this exact discourse left me with a very uncomfortable choice where I either have to feel like I'm somehow faking or that I'm somehow not welcome to wear this label and that I offend the people who are entitled to this label because of my experience not being exactly textbook or I have to go and search my childhood that I remember to be peaceful and beautiful for more horrible things and potentially come up with something that may or may not have happened but in any case it will not benefit my well-being, it will not benefit my healing, it will not make me happier. And I don't know whether or not that's heartbreaking because it's not like, it's not an active sense of loss. It's not like I've lost an integral part of my identity, but it does leave me with a bunch of questions about the nature of myself, the nature of TP, our, our relationship, our place in the world. And I guess... I thought that I would be over that part now. I thought that in five years we have figured this out. But I think that's not true. I think what happened was in five years we learned to live with it. We learned to 
kind of exploited or at least just make as much good come out of it as we could. And we have never been really one to dedicate ourselves to the community in the exclusive community sense. So instead what we are doing is we are trying to just share our story, talk to other people, talk to people with different experiences, talk to people who are also outside of the very strict criteria of what most people with DID and OSDD think DID and OSDD is. And at this point, I feel like my dissociation has nothing to do with labels. My identity has nothing to do with labels. My multiple personalities have nothing to do with labels. And I don't need to be bound by any of that. I can just be a person who has an amazing other person inside the same body. And right now, the current course is we are going to start working on something new with our therapist. Because basically my... It's an interesting question, like, how people heal. And one of the ways, one of the, once again, kind of textbook lore ways of thinking about healing if you have a dissociative disorder is called integration. And people understand integration differently, but basically the idea is that all these fragmented parts that represent themselves as personalities should ideally be brought together into one intact person. Now this thought terrifies and disgusts me absolutely to the core. Not for other people, but for me and TP. Because I kind of feel like if TP and I were somehow to merge together, I don't even know if it's possible, but if that was the thing, if we had to like merge together and become essentially Phoenix again, or like a brand new person, that would be the end of both TP and myself. And I don't want to die. That's a terrifying thought. But... At the same time, I really long for contact. I long for contact with him. I long for sharing memories. I long for a slightly easier life with slightly less memory blackouts. I long for not having to divide every single experience and decide who gets to experience what. Family holidays, friendships, relationships, whatever. So we are going to start working on this brand new idea of trying to break down the barriers and trying to break down the specific parts that keep our memories separate while still trying to remain ourselves. And we will see where it goes. Yeah. And I honestly feel like this is probably also, in a way, I feel like discarding the label of DID and working towards this might in a sense go hand in hand because like the idea that there's this strict label and it has these uh, symptoms and I need to leave, live up to these symptoms can actually um, once again as I said earlier be a self-fulfilling prophecy and 
this can be um, a problem. Like the whole one of the theories of dissociation and especially of compartmentalization and dissociative amnesia is that it's a type of self hypnosis, like a um, kind of subconsciously inflicted self hypnosis. Um, and people who are, tend to dissociate are also usually very suggestible, and um, and basically a dissociative barrier is not a physical thing it's a mental psychological barrier that has been set up and you don't remember because you don't you believe that you don't remember and you believe that you can't remember and this is not to say that you could just snap your fingers and start to remember obviously the mind is not that simple but it does mean that it's not inherently true that it will always be this way and maybe not identifying the label that sort of keeps you in this box where you have to have these experiences will actually, in a sense, make it feel more right uh, to work towards a different experience. I don't know if that's true, but that's just like my thought on it. Yeah, it might be true. Also, yet another step I took that was kind of scary, but it's working out for me is... So I like to present... Like, there has always been TP and me, and there have never been others, and there has never been any kind of weirdness regarding this. We are just a very simple binary system, which is absolutely a big fat lie. There have been others. They haven't been fully formed. They haven't been around a lot, but they have been there and just repressing them and kind of trying to forget that they ever existed is not the way I wish to go from now on. So just accepting the fact that, yeah, there have been other parts to us. They have been dormant, maybe dead. I don't know if personalities die, but they are not present anymore. And that's okay. Right now there is three of us and the three of us will just have to figure it out, I guess. Yeah. Seems fair. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like there's a lot to say on this topic. And there will be future discussions and there will be introductions to more people's personal experiences. Yeah, because basically I think the point here is that as it goes, we support people's experiences and like their ability to assess their own experiences. And uh, we generally sort of support an inclusive point of view. Um, and that means for me, I'm like, yes, I, I don't see the point of attacking people who have experiences that are different from your own and we have uh, just in our family we have um, many people who have different experiences with things that sort of either are multiplicity or is like on the border of it etc i have these aspects where we do remember what each other do and we're yeah you are very different we're also very different and very distinct and um there's Bat. There's Bat, who has like uh, a guardian, uh, they call themselves, in you, who sort of takes care of them in a way, but also like sort of be turned to shape. <laughs> and um, 
And I feel like all these experiences are sort of none of them are completely textbook anything, yet they are real experiences and they're things that's happening in our lives. And I think it's important to talk about that and I think it's important to acknowledge that these things are real and and they they can be a good thing or they can be a bad thing and most things are just neutral, they just are. Yeah. And one thing that I forgot to mention and I kind of find it super important to put it here that there is of course a discourse but this mostly comes from a place where there are people out there who have been hurt so so badly that they are just angry permanently really fucking pissed off and they have all the right in the world to be so but still I understand why these people need to guard their own gates because they're terrified. They're terrified of being traumatized again. They are terrified of not being hurt. They are angry. They are scared. And they're yelling very, very loudly. And to these people, it might seem that everybody else who has similar experiences but are suffering way less from these experiences are somehow kind of just raining on their parade because they need a place to be heard, they need a safe place where they can heal and they need a community that is exclusive to them that's composed of people that understand them, that understand their pain, that understand their experience and I do think that this is an inherently good thing to have this community. However I also feel like they might or some of them sometimes might fall into the trap where they are so focused on their own suffering that they kind of forget the whole healing angle. They kind of forget the whole kindness and inclusion angle that I believe is essential for a person's mental and emotional well-being. And they are stuck in a permanent state of fear and anger and lashing out and because they support each other in their outrage it might be that it's actually not healthy for them i don't know about that what i know is that if it's not healthy for me and i wish to move towards a community that's inclusive and that allows people to express themselves however they wish that allows people to heal in the best ways they can to cope the best ways they can and that does not feel the need to accuse anybody on infiltration because there is no such thing as infiltration. People who need to be part of a community can come into this community and be a part of it and I believe that to those people who don't have any kind of experience that compares to ours or that don't have some sort of trouble that they need to share. To those people, this community might be super boring. So they probably wouldn't come to us because why would they? They can be out there doing whatever mythical normal people things there are out there to do. So if somebody gravitates towards a community that's mainly composed of disabled people unfortunate people, various types of weirdos and fuck-ups, 
well, I guess that defines you as a weirdo and a fuck up, and that's beautiful, and that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> and you're welcome to be with us. Welcome to the petting zoo. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I believe that the distinctions of mental illnesses between mental illnesses, between neurodivergencies, etc., etc., does more harm than good because. And even between mental illness and physical illness, because I believe all of us disabled people have so much in common and so much to fight for together. And I believe that putting up these distinctions between our community is not necessarily helping anyone. And I certainly think that it's sometimes harming the cause of creating a more inclusive world. So, yeah. Thank you for listening. This was us from the Petting Zoo. We will see you soon with more multiple shenanigans. And until then, goodbye from the petting zoo. Goodbye.